Good morning, Lifehouse. Man, I tell you what, it is good to be with you today. Go ahead and take your Bible and go to Matthew chapter 5. And as you are getting there, let me just say thank you for allowing my family and I to have a couple of weeks to um, really to do yard work around our house for the most part. <laughs> just to be honest with you, everybody's like, you enjoy your vacation? I'm like, yeah, I mean, our flower beds did. Um, but uh, no, we enjoyed it. We got to spend some time together. Got to show my kids how to sweat a little bit. Uh, and um, I get to show everybody how to sweat a little bit. Uh, the last couple of weeks, we have been in churches on Sundays. And I got to preach at one last week. My buddy down in Macon, Georgia, got to preach for him. And we've just enjoyed some time away, some time together. And uh, I want to tell you, though, I... <laughs> I don't like not being here. And it's not because I'm worried about what's going to happen. I know that our lead team and AJ, who preached last week, and Riley, who's preaching next week, apparently. And uh, I know that this church, uh, because of Jesus and because of the leadership we have, is in more than capable hands in my absence. But this is my home. And I am a homebody, and I miss my church. But I'm going to tell you, though, Nobody missed being at Lifehouse more than my two oldest daughters, Olivia and Julia. Uh, now, we were in church the last two Sundays, and they were great churches, and they had great kids' ministries. But I'm just telling you, and I'm, I mean, I am biased, but I'm also right when I say this. Um, we may not have the biggest church. We may not have the best of facilities, but we have an amazing, an amazing kids' ministry. And so if you see Lori or Tara Linthicum or anybody that's serving today or anybody that serves regularly uh, as we enjoy fellowship here in a few moments, make sure to, to give them a hug and tell them thank you for investing into the lives of our kids. Amen? Yeah. Amen. So I want to start a series on uh, the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes. This is actually something that I have wanted to do for a couple of years now. Uh, it's kind of been in my uh, notes app. It's something that, you know, when, the, when I feel like the Lord allowed me to do it, I wanted to go there. And I call it a series. Um, that's probably, I hope it's a series. Let me say it like that. Uh, if you're unfamiliar, when you plan out series, good, good, good preachers, they plan out the whole thing in advance. Uh, all I've got is this message so far. So we'll see what happens next week. We may be in the Beatitudes still. Uh, we, we might go somewhere else. So as of today, this is a series that we're beginning in the Beatitudes. If you're unfamiliar, unfamiliar with the Beatitudes, uh, they are sort of the preamble, if I may, of the, what's called the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus preaches the Sermon on the Mount. Honestly, it's the, uh, the best sermon in all of human history. The Sermon on the Mount takes place in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. And the Beatitudes are really just the first 12 verses of Matthew 5. And um, so that's where we're going to camp out today. We're going to talk about really just verse 3 primarily of Matthew 5. But we're going to read a few more. But before I do that, would you pray for me? Would you pray with me as we get ready to dive into God's Word? Father, thank you so much for this incredible church and this incredible body of believers. Thank you, God. Uh, that we have the opportunity and the freedom in our country as we celebrate today and tomorrow to worship without fear of government persecution, without fear of imprisonment. And 
so God, we just thank you for that. We thank you for the ideals of this country. But most of all, we thank you for your son, Jesus, who died and gave himself up for us so that we could be made right with you. And God, as we dive into your word, I pray through the power of your spirit that you'd speak to me and through me in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. amen. I, um, before we get to the scripture, I want to I tell you something that you may not, I know you know this, but I don't know how well you know this, and so I want to uh, help you know this a little bit better. Your father, your heavenly father, your earthly father maybe as well, some of you maybe not, uh, but your heavenly father is a good father. He really is. Um, the, Jesus says, he says it in Matthew 6, he says, if, if you earthly fathers being sinful, want to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your Father in heaven want to give good things, good gifts to you? And just to exemplify that to you, we've been back in the office this week, and one of the blessings that me and my family have, uh, being the pastors here and having the wonderful facilities that we do, I know we complain about the slope floor, but you just need to be quiet about that because I can't do anything about it. But, uh, but we really are blessed with some great facilities, so we're able to bring our kids here during the week, especially during summer, and they run around the gym and tear up stuff for Pastor Allen to fix later. And, and, um, but uh, they, they have roller skates and they have scooters and even bicycles that I don't really think they know how to ride yet. Uh, but one of the things they have is these scooters in, uh, that, that my two oldest have, and they ride them around in our gym. And so a Magnolia, who just turned three years old uh, in May, she runs in my office and she says, Daddy, me want to tutor like sissies. And, um, and I said, what kind do you want? And she said, I want a Minnie Mouse tutor. And actually it was a Ninny Mouse tutor. I'm saying tutor, I hope you're catching that because it makes it extra cute. And if you're one of these people that corrects something that children under the age of five say wrong, you are no fun. You are no fun. Now, like after five, it starts getting weird. Maybe, maybe, maybe seven. Maybe it's even seven. You know, uh, but after you know, after a little bit, it gets weird. But if you know, three-year-old says something wrong, uh, you need you best be quiet because it's cute and we love it. So, so how would you, how many of you know that in a few hours that Magnolia had her own Ninny Mouse tutor? Because I may not be her heavenly father, but even an earthly father still wants to give good gifts to his children. And when baby girl walks in my office saying, Daddy, I want a Minnie Mouse scooter like my sister's. She going to get a Minnie Mouse. And it cost so much more than a generic one. Can I just tell you? It was double the price. But she was very specific. And so how many of you, I mean, this ain't the message, but some of y'all need to get this. Y'all need to get more specific with your prayers. Some of y'all asking God to help you with your finances when you really need to be giving God a budget saying, Lord, help me make this work. That's a good sermon for Riley. You can get that one in a few weeks. I want to tell you today that your heavenly father wants you to be happy. He does. He wants you to be blessed. Now, you have heard it said, and, and if I'm being honest with you, I have said it, and I don't take it back because it's not wrong. We'll say things like, God doesn't care about your happiness. God cares about your holiness. But I want to tell you today that those things don't have to be mutually exclusive of each other. Uh, we'll say, and I've said this a lot, God cares more about your character than he does your comfort. And that's true. I don't, I don't revoke that statement. That's a very true statement. But that doesn't mean that he doesn't also care about my comfort or, you know, giving us what we want sometimes. 
It's not that God doesn't want you to be happy. It's that we need to understand his truth about happiness and how that's different than the world's lies about happiness. See, the kingdom of God, and that's what we've been called into, the kingdom of God to, to believe and to pray and to live in such a way that heaven's reality would become earth's reality, right? That your will would be done on earth as it is, as it is in heaven. The thing about the kingdom of God is that it's an upside-down kingdom compared to the kingdoms of this world and to the ways of man. You know, for instance, uh, the Bible tells us that if you will make yourself last, God will make you first, Right? That, and Jesus exemplifies this when he washes the feet of the disciples. He says, if, you know, if you'll make yourself a servant of all, God will make you great. He will exalt you. If Paul says this in Corinthians when he talks about the thorn in his flesh. If we want to experience the perfect power of God, we have to lean into our weaknesses instead of trying to cover them up. Most of us, when we notice weakness in our life, we try to fix it. But what God tells us to do, instead of trying to fix it, instead of trying to cover it up, lean into it so that in your weakness, his strength will be made perfect. Would you give me just a little more monitor right there for me, Bobby? And Jesus, this is probably the most important principle of the upside-down kingdom of God, that if we want to gain eternal life, then we have to die to ourselves in this life. And the Beatitudes is probably the most famous list of upside-down kingdom principles. And this is what Jesus says. And I'm just going to read through them all today. Matthew 5, starting in verse 1. Would you stand for the reading of God's Word? And if you've got your Bible, these uh, if you have a red-letter Bible, these words are going to be in red. Because these are primarily all of which, except the introduction here, the words of Jesus and this is what it says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And this is the introduction, as we said earlier, to what is called the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. You may be seated. Thank you. Thank you for standing for that. And these statements reveal where true happiness can be found. Because if you do a deep dive into this word blessed or blessed, I don't, I don't know how to say it right. I say blessed because that sounds more 21st century. But um, it really means happy, but not happy like circumstantial happiness. You know, for instance, uh, my, my three-year-old Magnolia is happy because she got uh, a Ninny Nouse tutor, right? 
But if that thing were to break, she would be unhappy. That's what we call circumstantial happiness. And, and the happiness that Jesus is referring to is not circumstantial happiness. We might would better define it as an internal joy that is based on receiving the love, the favor, and the approval of our Heavenly Father. And, and, and he goes on and he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And some have read this and assumed that what it means, if you want to go to heaven when you die, then you have to be poor in spirit. And, and Jesus is not giving a list of things that you need to do in order to go to heaven when you die. That's not what the Beatitudes are. What he is doing is he is giving us the list of characteristics that we are to embody to be kingdom people, kingdom of heaven people on earth as it is in heaven. Does that make sense? Jesus didn't come to earth so that you could go to heaven when you died. Jesus came to earth to get heaven into you while you're still alive. And that's really what the Beatitudes are. They're Jesus saying, this is what a kingdom man or what a kingdom woman looks like. And this first one in verse 3, he says, Blessed are the poor. And that's the title of today's message. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And the New Living Translation says it like this. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. The New Century Version says it like this. They are blessed when they realize their spiritual poverty. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. I am not a uh, language scholar. This was written in Greek. Uh, Matthew wrote his gospel in Greek. But uh, if I take a few different translations and look at some uh, concordances and put it together for me, this is, this is the Drew American version because I'm not international. I'm very American. Truly happy is the person who realizes that even on their best day, they are completely destitute, utterly helpless, and they embrace their desperate need for God. Amen. You see, we will never depend on something we don't think we need. We will never depend on something we don't think we need. And as we celebrate Independence Day as a nation, you know, today, because this, this is what we're doing today, and tomorrow too, uh, I also think that we should even more celebrate and acknowledge our complete and total dependence on our Heavenly Father. You'll never depend on something you need. This is what Jesus says to the church in Revelation, uh, the church of Laodicea in Revelation, in Revelation 3. And just so you know, it's Revelation. There was only one Revelation. It's not Revelations. <laughs> Anybody who's ever said that wrong, I love you and I'm just helping you. This is what he says to the church at Laodicea. He says, I know your deeds, that you were neither cold nor hot. Anybody cold in the house today? Anybody hot in the house today? It's me right now, okay. Anybody thinking this is the most humid day of the year so far? Yeah. He says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either one or the other. And, and understand this, that being cold or hot, is not, it's not like, well, we need to be on fire for God. That's what I've, I've heard people preach that. Uh, and they said, when they preached it, they, we need to be on fire for God. And that fire had a Y instead of an I. That's how they said it. You know what I'm saying? Uh, fire for God. That's not, that's not what Jesus is saying. He's not saying you need to be hot. He's not even saying you need to be cold. He's saying that you need to be one or the other. He said because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot. 
And he says, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. And this is why they're lukewarm. He says, you say I am rich and I have acquired wealth and I do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Here's the deal. If you have had a meal in the last 24 hours, you are among the most wealthy 15% of the world. And, and I would submit to you something that might sound a little controversial. And, and maybe I'm wrong, but I'm probably right. That one of the reasons why we do not see a move of God and the, the miraculous works that other countries see is because when we have a headache, we can just take Tylenol. When we, when we have a need, we can go to a person or we can go to a pill or we can go to a bottle. We can go to a phone. We can go to something that, to, to numb our pain. Where in so many other parts of the world, well, those things are not as readily available that if God doesn't do it, it ain't going to happen. Do you, do you follow what I'm saying? And I would submit to you that we are probably, and I put myself in this as well, we are probably a lot more like the church at Laodicea than we would care to admit. Because even though when we, we would say, we would verbally acknowledge, yes, I need God, but is it exemplified in my daily life? Is it exemplified in my prayer life? Anyway, a lot of people think, like I said earlier, that Jesus is saying you need to be cold or hot. But what he's doing, he's writing to a church at Laodicea. So this is a city and they have aqueducts that bring in water from different parts of the surrounding countryside. And so they would have these aqueducts that would bring in hot medicinal water from Heropolis. And so this water would be used for hot springs. But the problem is when it was exceptionally cold, that by the time the water went from Heropolis to Laodicea, it would have become lukewarm. The hot water would begin to cool down. And in other words, it would begin to reflect the atmosphere around it instead of the source it was derived from. And the cold water would be, uh, would be used, uh, aqueducts, aqueducts would bring it in from the nearby mountains of Colossae. And, and that cold water on exceptionally warm days, as they got closer to Laodicea, it would, it would, be, it would become warm. It would become, it would become like the surrounding temperature, the surrounding atmosphere around it. In other words, the further away it got from the source, the more it reflected the atmosphere than it did the source. And this is what caused their lukewarmness. It wasn't that, that they didn't love God. It was that they didn't depend on him. Jesus says, you say I am rich. Now, how many of you realize that that church probably didn't actually get up in a pulpit and say, we're rich and we have need for nothing. But how many of you understand that in their everyday lives, a lack of dependency on God was exemplified. And here Jesus, through the apostle John, is writing them a letter, not to condemn them, but to convict them because he loves them. And he's telling them, you have grown distant from me because you don't realize how bad you need me. You say you're rich, but in reality, you're blind, you're naked, you're wretched, you're poor. Many of us, we struggle. We struggle to realize just how spiritually bankrupt we really are, how needy we are. We are Americans. And we like to talk about our independence. And we like to, men like to say, oh, I'm a self-made man, which is the big, there's no such thing as a self-made man. There's no such thing as a self-made anybody. I wouldn't be who I am or where I am today, first and foremost, without God making me and giving me breath and giving me life. Yeah. 
and I could go down that road, but I think you know, I think you know what I'm saying there. And we struggle, most of all, to realize how spiritually poor we are. We've heard the statement, uh, we've seen bumper stickers and t-shirts, right? And, and it's kind of a play on words. It'll say, no God, no peace. And then with the, with the other spelling, it will say, no God, no peace, right? You know? And so I just want to propose the question to you for the next few minutes today that what would our life look like without Jesus? What would our life look like without Jesus? Just a few thoughts for you real quick this morning before we go eat barbecue. Is that okay with you? Okay, good. Three of you. I'm glad. <laughs> Number one, without Jesus, I pay for my sin. Without Jesus, I pay for my sin. AJ preached a great message last week on sin, didn't he? It was fantastic. I think he even read this scripture, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. My pastor, when I became a Christian, he used to say when he would read anything in the Bible and the word all was there, he would say that's the biggest word in the Bible because when God says all, he means all, right? For all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. I don't care how good you think you are. You have sinned and you have fallen short of the standard of God's righteousness. Isaiah say, says it like this, in Isaiah 64, verse 6, he says, We are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. Now, I don't want to be crass. I don't want to come across as crude or anything like that. But I think you need to understand when Isaiah is writing in the Hebrew language, this phrase, filthy rags, he is talking about menstrual garments a woman would use when she is on her period. And, and what Isaiah is saying that even on your best days, that is how unclean, because when a woman was on her period, she was considered unclean. She was considered impure. He's saying that even your best works, even the best, most righteous thing you think you could ever do. If you ever, let's just be real for a moment. Have you ever had a day where you knew, man, I had a good day today. I read, I got up early and I read my Bible. I fasted breakfast partly because I was trying to lose weight, but also because you know what? I wanted to spend time with the Lord? Any, is it just me? Because this is lonely. <laughs> you guys have never had good days where you thought, man, I had a good day today. Somebody just lie and help me out right now. Okay. Yeah. Jessica told me she's going to help me earlier, but she did not. Yeah, there we go. There we go. You did. What, what Isaiah is saying is that even on your best of the best of the best of the best days, your most righteous deeds are nothing but, but filthy rags compared to the glorious standard that God has set for what a truly righteous life looks like. So without Jesus, I pay for my own sin. Because of Jesus, though, my debt has been paid. Because of Jesus, my debt has been paid. Romans 6.23, I think AJ read this one last week as well. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God. Everybody say that phrase, free gift. Free the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, I want to I say this, and I'm not contradicting the Bible, but, but I think it'll make sense in a moment. How many of you are mature enough to understand that nothing is free? 
Everybody paid. You know, we were at a hotel last week, and, and Kristen said, oh, we get a free breakfast this morning. How many of you know we paid for that breakfast when we paid for that hotel room? That breakfast wasn't free. We paid for that. We probably paid. We overpaid for those, for that thin bacon and, and cheap waffle mix. <laughs> Nothing is free. Salvation is not free. I need you to hear me today. We, we talk and we preach and we might even read the Bible and get the impression that salvation is free. The truth is it is a gift that's free to me, but somebody, namely Jesus, paid the price so I could be saved. And I just want to say this. I don't think we in the church today get excited enough over the simplicity and the goodness of the gospel. Can I just tell you, I should be able to walk up here and say, let's just thank God for the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, if we truly recognize how great and how awesome that gift is, we would lose our minds more so than when our favorite team wins a Super Bowl, right? Can we just take a moment and thank God for the free gift of salvation found in Jesus Christ? Amen. That's what I'm talking about. Right here in the middle. Y'all got it. Y'all over here. I don't know about you. We're praying for y'all. Nothing's free, but salvation is a free gift for me. Paul says it like this in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, as for you, and he's talking to Christians here. So think about, you know, as for Chad, as for Tara, as for Drew, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who were disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were deserving of wrath. Deserving of wrath. But, there's another but. Man, I love it when God says but. But because of his great love for us. Notice it doesn't say, but because you tried really hard and God felt sorry for you. He says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy. You know, how many of you know that mercy is not getting what you deserve? And we deserved hell. And hell is simply a place where we get to pay for our own sin. That's what hell is. Hell is the place where we pay for our own sin. It says, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. Now, if mercy is not getting what I do deserve, then grace is getting something I don't deserve. Amen? Yeah. And so God saves us from hell, but he doesn't just save us from hell. He saves us to heaven and not heaven one day when, but heaven right now living in us and living through us. One more time. Thank the Lord for that. Come on, church. <laughs> Billy Graham in his crusades, but often in his and when you'd be talking about grace, which is primarily what he talked about, he would say, he would tell this story, and it was a much longer story than I'm going to tell now, but just to, just to give you a summary, he would say God's grace and mercy is like standing before a judge for a traffic ticket, only to have the judge pay the ticket and then to also give you a $100 bill. 
But then you multiply that times infinity, right? And that's what the grace and mercy of God looks like. So without Jesus, I pay for my own sin. But because of Jesus, my debt is paid in full. Number two, without Jesus, all I can do is deal. All I can do is deal. Jeremiah says this, they offer superficial treatments, or this is God speaking to Jeremiah. In other words, he's saying, this world only offers surface level treatment for my people's mortal wounds. They give assurances of peace when there is no peace. And I'm telling you right now, uh, I have a lot of faith and appreciation for the structures of our world, for, for medical help, for psychological help, for, for economic help, sociological help, all those things. But at the end of the day, they are a band-aid, right? They are a patch on a much greater problem. A few years ago, we had a, a roof leak over our carport, and I would get up there about every three months with, with a bucket of tar and some other goopy, sticky stuff, and I would spread it out trying to cover up that leak. But that water, I'm telling you what, there is, it kept finding ways to get through that roof. And eventually we got to the place where we knew we had to have it replaced. And so, so they, they, they came in and they ripped off the top, the roof right there. And when they looked down, all of, I don't even know what they're called, like not rafters, but the beams that were holding the roof up, uh, they were all rotted, right? Because the surface level attempts to fix it were causing damage underneath that I couldn't even see. And that's the way the systems of this world were. You see, before Jesus, I'll, all I could do was deal with it, right? I was depressed. I was angry. I was suicidal. I was filled with shame. And I would turn to things. And I would turn to things like alcohol to try to numb my depression and numb my pain. I would turn to toxic relationships. And by the way, I was the toxic one in those relationships. I, I was the toxic one. I would turn to toxic relationships to try to find approval and, and try to find affirmation from somebody to give me something. That, that I didn't have. I would, I, I would contemplate taking my own life. I would listen to music filled with vulgarity and profanity, just trying to numb my emotions and numb my pain. But on June 16th of 2000, I went to a little country church and I sat on the back row. And when an altar call was given, I ran to the front where Jesus ripped my root off and he began to clean out the rot inside of me. And he began, he didn't put a band-aid on my life. He gave me a new life. He made me new again. Come on, one more time. Give it up for the, the healing power of Jesus. You see, without Jesus, all I can do is deal, but because of Jesus, I can be healed. You see what I did there, how it rhymes? I was pretty proud of that. And I want to tell you, Jesus did not go through the trouble of the cross where he received a brutal punishment and death unlike anything we could even imagine so that we could deal, so that we could make it. No, he did it so that we could be healed from the inside out, so that we could be transformed, so that we could be made new again. Peter says it like this, he himself bore our sins. Notice, God did not send somebody else to do it. He became man. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. By his wounds, we have been healed. And I'm telling you, sometimes healing can be a process. 
Some things can be healed in a moment and some things are healed over time. But I don't care if you're, if it was instantaneous or if you were walking through the process, God has more for you than to just deal with it. God wants to give you healing. He wants, I, I'm believing God for miracles. I'm believing God for somebody who's been struggling with mental illness and that God's going God's to gonna make them new again. He's going to give them a new mind and a new heart. He's going to give them peace that passes understanding. He's going to give them joy unspeakable. Amen? I, Jesus ripped off the band-aids and he began the healing process in my life. And, and you know, just like those roofers had to rip the roof off what was left of one and and begin to pour out, pull out the rotted wood. A lot of times, that's what God has to do to us, right? And it can be painful. But how many of you know it's worth it? Because Jesus, he doesn't want to make you better. He wants to make you new again. I think that one's worth repeating. Jesus doesn't want to make you better. He wants to make you new again. And lastly... Without Jesus, my life is defined by the pursuits of temporary pleasures. Without Jesus, at, at my very best, I am living for my life. My, I am living my life for joy that fades away. Solomon, um, if, you, if you want to read a slightly depressing but overall really good book of the Bible, go read Ecclesiastes. He writes in Ecclesiastes, and remember Solomon at this time in history, he was and is the wisest man to ever live apart from Jesus. And one of the richest, I mean, I'm not a financial uh, life planner, so I don't know how rich he was, but I know he was rich. This is what he says in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. In other words, what he would be saying if he lived today, he would have... The, the nicest, the biggest, the most extravagant home. He would have the nicest, most exotic cars. He would have the newest iPhone, right? He would be the first person to get the iPhone 14 before AJ and I could get it, <laughs> right? He would have the best of the best. He would buy his sneakers, not from Dick's Sporting Goods like I do. He would buy them from, from uh, what's that, Stock X, where you have to pay triple and quadruple the retail amount because computer bots buy them all up, right? Some of y'all don't know what I'm talking about, and you're better off for it. I'm just saying. Um, <laughs> amen, yeah. They are, aren't they, AJ? Now, Solomon would have it all, and he did have it all. He said, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart, my heart took delight in all my labor. And this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had achieved, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Now you may or may not be a Christian today but this truth is for all of us in the room the bottom line is you were not created to feel satisfied by this world you were not created for this world and so what we do apart from Jesus is we try to find things and they're not bad things usually 
They're good things. There's nothing wrong with nice homes and cars and iPhones. There is Androids, but that's different. You understand. We've been down that road. You know, what I, you know how I feel about that. There's nothing wrong with seeking or after a, a healthy family and having kids and, and enjoying, enjoying life and going on vacations and maybe one day, God willing, getting a bass boat. <laughs> we'll see. But if you were looking for those things, even the good things, to satisfy your longing for purpose and fulfillment, you will always find yourself disappointed because you weren't created for this world. And therefore, nothing in this world will truly satisfy you. And Solomon even says this himself in Ecclesiastes 3. He says, he has also, speaking of God, has set eternity in the human heart. Because you and I and everyone else, whether they know Jesus or don't yet, were created with eternity planted in our hearts. In other words, we were created knowing that we were to live for something bigger, something greater, something more lasting than just this life. And so without Jesus, my life is defined by the pursuit of temporary pleasures, temporary fulfillment, temporary purpose. But, everybody say but. but. Because of Jesus, my life is defined by eternal purpose. I said because of Jesus, my life is defined by eternal purpose. Worship team, will you help me out? A couple of more scriptures. Going back to Ephesians chapter 2, this is what Paul says again. He says, for it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Remember, salvation is not free because Jesus paid for it. But it is a gift, a free gift that has been given or at least has been offered to us. So in order to be saved, I don't need to earn it. All I really need to do is accept it, right? Amen? He says, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And this is Paul next to Jesus, like who, you know, what Jesus is the Christ, right? So obviously he's the best Christian, but probably number two has to be Paul, right? And Paul is saying nobody can boast, not even I can boast, because it's only through Jesus, the free gift of salvation that I'm saved. And he goes on and he says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. We are, we are the product of God's hands. And, and I want to tell you, this is a little bit of a sidebar, but when you look in the mirror, when you contemplate yourself, when you think about yourself, I don't know what comes to your mind, but a lot of time, times what comes to my mind about me is something less than ideal, if I'm just going to be honest with you. But according to God's word, you are a masterpiece because of the attention and detail your heavenly father put into creating you. So why don't you let God's word be the authority on how much value and worth you really possess instead of that thing in between your ears that while I'm grateful for it sometimes, I know that thing will lie to me in a heartbeat. You are God's handiwork. You have been created in Christ Jesus to do good works. You've been made new again in Christ Jesus to do good works. 
You were not saved because of your good works, but I want to tell you, and sometimes we get this mixed up, you're not saved because of your good works, but you are saved to do good works. James says it like this, and you don't have this slide. James says it like this, faith without works is dead. In other words, you can say you are saved, but if your life does not show the fruits of salvation, I'm sorry, you may have prayed a prayer, but your life hasn't been changed. You haven't been born again. You haven't been made new. So, so we aren't saved by good works, but we are saved for good works, which God prepared. How many of you were thankful that God has a plan for your life? And God has a purpose for your life. And you, you may have walked away from God at some point. You may have walked away from him now. You might be distant in your relationship with him. And you might think, man, I've messed up God's plan. I don't guess there's anything we can do. But how many of you understand that God is a big enough God that you can't mess up his plans? You can't mess up his purpose. So I don't care how old you are. I don't care how long you've been distant from God. If you will give your life to Jesus, accept the free gift of salvation, today the plan of God becomes active in your life. And he doesn't erase your past, but he will redeem it. And he will use what the enemy meant for evil, and he will bring good out of it. We've been created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Because you, my friend, are not an accident. And nothing that's ever happened in your life has ever surprised your father. Come on, stand with me this morning. I want to say it again. We are not saved by good works, but we are saved for good works. And the truth is, you can have all the nice things. You can have a great family. You can have a great job. But until you live your life to impact eternity for others, you will never have fulfillment. Because that is truly what fulfillment in Jesus looks like. It's not about the big things either. It's not about preaching the sermons or singing on a worship team. It's about the little things. It's about the conversations. It's about, it's about the help every so often that we choose to give to a friend or neighbor or dare I even say an enemy. So today, as we celebrate our independence as a nation, let us all the more celebrate and acknowledge our dependence on our Savior. Can we do that? Can we do that? happiest people, the most joyful people, the most blessed people on earth are the people who will say to Jesus, Jesus, I need you. And I don't have anything to give you. He don't need your talent. He doesn't need your Bible knowledge. He doesn't need your skill set. He certainly doesn't need your money. He just wants you. That's all he wants. He doesn't need you. He is the I am, I am, but he wants you. And so today as we get ready to celebrate, can we take a few more moments as our team leads us? I actually, let's do it like this. If where you're standing right now as our team leads us in worship, if you would say, Jesus, I need you. If that's your prayer, if that's your heart, I need you. It doesn't mean that 
you're off living some terrible life. Maybe you are, but it doesn't have to be that. Maybe today you just realize that you have not been as dependent on your Father as you need to be. That you have not been as dependent upon the grace of God as you need to be. And your prayer in your heart today would be, Jesus, I need you. I need you in a new way. I need you in a fresh way. I need you today. I need you tomorrow. And if that's your prayer, as our team leads us, I'm going to pray here in just a moment. But as they lead us in worship, if that's your prayer, I want to invite you to come to this altar. We won't take exceptionally long today. But I think, you know, we are body, mind, and spirit. And sometimes in order for my spirit to truly make a decision, my body and my mind have to get on the same page as well. And there, you, you may say, oh, I can just, I can make that decision sitting in my seat. And if that's what you want to do, go right ahead. But I'm telling you, I believe something special happens when we have the courage and the faith to step out of where we are comfortable at and to say physically out loud, mentally in our minds and spiritually with our heart and make the confession of faith. Jesus, I need you. So Father, I thank you. I thank you today that we have been given the free gift of salvation through Jesus. And Jesus, we acknowledge the price you paid. We, we don't really even understand it. We don't understand how terrible the cross was or how brutal the punishment was and we certainly don't understand how heavy the weight of our sin was but to the best of our ability today God we acknowledge it and God we ex we we know and understand we are needy people we are desperate we are dependent and so today as our team leads us in worship God I pray that you would move on our hearts that you would remind us of our spiritual dependency on you and God help us from the bottom of our hearts to cry out not just today but every day and in every situation Jesus I need you and it's in Jesus name we pray amen amen the altars are open